morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Wednesday, November 30th, we are studying the hymn, O Lord, How Shall I Meet You? That is number 334 in Lutheran's service book. This marvelous hymn from Paul Gerhardt not only helps us to ask the quintessential Advent question, but it also prepares us to answer it with faith in Jesus, the one whose love caused him to join our humanity and so bear our sin and be our Savior. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Carl Roth. Pastor Roth serves at Grace Lutheran Church in Elgin, Texas. Pastor Roth, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you. Pastor Roth, as we get started, let's just talk a little bit about the season of Advent today. We get one of my favorite Advent hymns personally, number 334. Tell us about the season of Advent, how it functions in the church year and in the devotional life of the Christian. Sure. Advent is the Christian New Year. So we don't actually celebrate New Year in the Christian church on January 1st. It's the first Sunday in Advent, which is always the Sunday closest to St. Andrew's Day, which is on November 30th. And so this uh, this year, um, Advent begins on November 27th. And um, so that's our New Year. So we could also then say that the last Sunday of the church year is our New Year's Eve. And um, uh, in contrast with the world around us, which, uh, you know, parties hardy on New Year's Eve, um, we do quite the opposite. Uh, On the last Sunday of the church here, we focus on the return of our Lord Jesus Christ and are preparing to meet him through repentance and faith in his word. Hmm. Well, and this hymn asks that question, how shall I meet you, O Lord? We're talking about meeting the Lord at his coming. One of the things that we're going to see in this hymn is that it's going to talk about Palm Sunday. And traditionally, the first Sunday in Advent, the gospel reading is a Palm Sunday account. In the one-year historic lectionary, you hear from Matthew, I believe, every year. And in the three-year lectionary, you hear from Matthew, Mark, or Luke, depending on which year you're listening. But it's the Palm Sunday account. Why Palm Sunday on the first Sunday in Advent, right here, right before Christmas? Why are we reading from a Holy Week text? Sure. I think there are several good reasons. One is that Advent means coming to. And so this is the account of our Lord Jesus coming to Jerusalem to fulfill the purpose that he had set out on from the very beginning of his ministry. That is to go up to Jerusalem uh, and to suffer and die for our sins. So it's really fitting to begin the church year with Jesus arriving at Jerusalem for the reason that he had come into this world, the cross, which we then get again during Holy Week. So there's a really nice connection then between Advent and uh, the season of Lent and Holy Week. Okay, so we've got the coming of our Lord into Jerusalem, forming this first Sunday in Advent text. This is a hymn that goes with that text. Thinking more just broadly about that word coming, which is what Advent means, coming to, 
again, when we associate Advent with the month of December, perhaps we're only thinking about Christmas, but in what ways does the season of Advent prepare us for the Lord's coming to us? Sure. So I like to say that there are actually four comings to of our Lord to us. The first would be in the Old Testament. Our Lord repeatedly came to his people, and I think we could say with certainty this was the pre-incarnate Christ who walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, who uh, appeared to Moses in the burning bush, and many, many other places in the Old Testament. Our Lord actually came down to earth and spoke directly to his people. And there he again and again revealed to them that he had a plan and that one day uh, the Messiah would come who, of course, would be God in the flesh, and he would come to finally visit and redeem his people. So the first Advent coming reflected in a lot of the Old Testament readings that we get, for example, from uh, Isaiah's, uh, well, I almost said Isaiah's gospel. Some people do call <laughs> it right. the fifth evangelist, right? The the evangelist of the Old Testament. But, uh, but the Old Testament book of Isaiah has all these marvelous prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. So there's that, that first coming to is an anticipatory coming to, which now is fulfilled, um, at, at Christmas. Um, the second coming of course would be our Lord's coming at Christmas, which we tend to associate with the season of Advent. Uh, the third coming would be an ongoing one from Christ's ascension into heaven, from where he fills all things. And from now until the last day, um, he comes to us continuously through his word, through his Holy spirit, um, through baptism, absolution, and the Lord's supper. So where two or three are gathered in his name, he comes to us to be with us, to call us to repentance, to be sure, but also to cheer us with the gospel. And then finally, um, a really tight connection between the close of the church here, which focuses on the last things, the end of the world and the return of our Lord. That theme is also picked up, especially in the first couple weeks of the, uh, the, the season of Advent. So with those four comings of the Lord, and I, I usually talk about three. I, I don't always talk about the Old Testament comings of the Lord, but I, I do think that's a helpful reminder, at least, to, to think about, yes, our Lord Jesus Christ is present in the Old Testament in the way that he does come to his people, even then before his incarnation. So with those those four comings, the, the coming that we hear about on Palm Sunday, and again, that's referenced in this hymn, uh, falls in that second one, as you listed it, the one that, that involves our Lord's incarnation and his birth, and then his coming into Jerusalem as a part of that. I think the reason that that especially fits during the season of Advent is we see his coming on Palm Sunday as one in humility. His first, and I use the term first coming in the sense of his incarnation, his first coming was to come and be our Savior. And he did so in a way that was unexpected in this humble way. It's very important for us to recognize that during the season of Advent, to see him as a humble Savior, so that we might place our faith in what he's done in his humility, so that when he does come again on the last day, we are, are rescued on that day rather than cast into the eternal judgment. Exactly. And, you know, that prophecy from Zechariah of the king coming to, uh, to Jerusalem um, specifically says that he's going to come in a humble manner. And I think that uh, a lot of the people who were expecting the Messiah to come thought he'd be a very powerful military king like King David. But uh, as Christmas shows us, uh, as the coming to Jerusalem on a, on a donkey shows us, um, our Lord came laying aside his splendor and glory and majesty as the eternal son of God so that he could become, take, as Paul puts it in Philippians 2, take up the form of a slave and, and uh, bear this disgrace even to the, the shame of the cross to be our redeemer. However, on the other hand, 
he has now been exalted so that at the last day, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so you do get that Christ, the glorious King coming on the clouds of glory to judge the living and the dead is emphasized at the end of the church year and during Advent. So with that background in mind, let's talk a little bit about this hymn. Again, this is number 334 in Lutheran service book, Oh Lord, How Shall I Meet You? It's a Paul Gerhardt text. Maybe just before we start, is this your favorite Advent hymn, Pastor Roth? Because I really think it might be mine. That's a great question. And you really caught me off guard there. So <laughs> yeah, um, I do. I it's do. a fantastic I, it is. It is marvelous. I do love this hymn. Um, so I, I also, you maybe, know, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is great. You know, I, that's right. there's just so many great hymns, but this is a this all right. is fantastic. <laughs> okay. So with, with this hymn, give us just any background information. Paul Gerhardt is, is one of the premier hymn writers in the Lutheran church. Talk a little bit about him, any background on this text in particular that we should know as we prepare to look at it today. Yeah. So Paul Gerhardt lives from 1607 to 1676. And I think that his historical background is very important. Um, so we're talking about somebody who, um, you know, was born about, uh, you know, 40 years, uh, 30 years after the formula of Concord. And so Lutheran Orthodoxy had been established um, throughout Germany. Um, there had been a movement um, among a, especially a guy named uh, Arndt um, for a warmer um, sort of piety not that would not discard the solid Orthodox doctrine that the Lutheran church had, had reestablished, but that would actually encourage individuals to, um, a warmer piety, um, a more, uh, sincere focus upon daily contrition and repentance. And I think you will see some of that reflected in Gerhard's hymns. Um, and at, at any rate, he, um, he, he wrote a tremendous number of hymns. Um, let's see, I have here that he wrote um, 134 hymns. And, um, and that, that's at least the ones that end up in hymn books. Um, so his, uh, the cantor of the church where he was an assistant pastor, Johann Kruger, published a hymnal in 1647 that included a, a lot of Gerhardt's hymns. And this became one of the most popular hymnals in the 1600s. So Gerhardt's influence was profound even in his own day and then after his death. And to the extent that we have um, hymns by Gerhard and other people from this period of time between 1620 and 1675 comprise 70 of the hymns in Lutheran service book, which is actually the largest number of hymns in LSB besides those that come after 1960. So um, this is a tremendously fruitful period of, of hymn writing, uh, time for hymn writing, and one of the remarkable things about it is that it was also a tremendously tumultuous period. So this is uh, the Thirty Years' War lasted from 1618 to 1648. And this was a series of religious conflicts between Catholics and Protestants. And there was a lot of nasty politics and territory disputes. There was also lots of outbreaks, of break of disease. And this was uh, the German-speaking areas were the main place all these battles were fought. And as is the case, um, you know, it's the, the common people, the women and the children that really end up suffering the most during war. And it's estimated that the population of the German states was reduced by uh, one quarter to one third through this period of time, through the effects of war, disease, hunger, and economic deprivation. But even in the midst of this, and perhaps especially in the midst of this, you have a wonderful flourishing of hymnody, particularly from Paul Gerhard. 
So it's oftentimes out of the time, uh, out of periods of time in which there's the most conflict, trouble, and distress that people are really rekindled in their faith by turning to the Lord because they have absolutely nowhere else to turn. And the prospect of death, of course, really fixes our mind on the last things that we focus on during Advent. Um, and him, his hymns reflect that, especially this one. Yeah, I mean, the the theme of hope, mm-hmm. I think, comes through especially in this hymn and in other Gerhardt hymns as well that would have fit very nicely into the context of the Thirty Years' War when when that's the, the tumult of your day and the threat of death is always there. The hope that is ours in Christ, particularly in his final coming, is going to be high on the minds of, of pastors that they want to put this into the minds of their people and keep it in their own hearts and minds as well so that they would not despair in the midst of, of such of such grief and, and sorrow any any thoughts on the the hymn itself what what are we going to encounter in this hymn as we look at its stanzas yeah but uh, one mention of, uh, about the tune um, so the the tune that in the Lutheran hymnal is associated with this the first tune at least is the same as um, all glory laud and honor which we sing on Palm Sunday. So that, that having that same tune on the first Sunday in Advent with Palm Sunday is a very uh, neat liturgical connection to, to connect uh, the, the beginning of the church year to uh, Holy Week. Um, and then also just a reminder of, of the coming of our Lord to Jerusalem. Um, the second tune was actually, I believe, written by um, Kruger. Yeah, that's right. The guy who published the hymnal. And that's the one that appears in LSB. The All Glory, Lot, and Honor tune is an alternate in Lutheran service book. All right. So let's let's go ahead and start looking at the text of this hymn. Again, this is number 334 in Lutheran service book. O Lord, how shall I meet you? This is stanza one. O Lord, how shall I meet you? How welcome you aright. Your people long to greet you, my hope, my heart's delight. O kindle, Lord most holy, your lamp within my breast, to do in spirit lowly, all that may please you best. Stanza one of the hymn, O Lord, how shall I meet you? So, Pastor Roth, let's just talk about that opening question. What What is the question that, that Gerhardt is inviting us to consider in the first stanza? Yeah, so how is it that we're going to meet the Lord if he comes and welcome him properly? Now, there is a law way of looking at that. So if Jesus showed up right now, you know, would you be ready to meet him? Would you be doing the right mm-hmm. things? You know, so I think that that is a, that a good law check on our behavior, right? That that we should always be watchful and prepared for the coming of the Son of Man. But that's not really the tenor of this hymn. Um, here, I really think that Gerhard is picking up on the language of the gospel reading from the last Sunday in the church year, uh, which would have been the, probably the, the week before um, this, this text was probably sung. Um, and that is from Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the ten uh, virgins and the wedding and you have five of them that have their lamps burning um, and plenty of oil. Well, actually, I guess they all have their lamps burning, but uh, five of them, their oil runs out. And But the key part of that text is they're waiting to meet the bridegroom. And so um, here, it's how are we going to welcome the bridegroom? It's we're going to be ready. We're going to welcome him with joy and with, um, uh, with faith in him. The bridegroom Jesus Christ is coming, but it's it's going to be a joyful meeting. It's it's not anything to fear unless you're unprepared. Yeah, I, I really appreciate the connection in this first stanza that you're making to the last Sunday in the church year. And I don't know that I I would have thought about this until 
having getting ready for this study that that there is there does seem to be a connection, particularly in this first stanza to that Matthew 25 text, even the mention of the lamp in the third line here in Lutheran service book. And what's what's striking about it in connection with that text from Matthew 25, or what I think is important to recognize, is that this preparation to meet the Lord, to have the lamp burning and have the oil enough and more, that can only happen if the Lord is the one who does it for us. He's the one who must prepare us to meet him. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, he's the light of the world, and he's the one who enlightens our our minds and our hearts. And so, if we have any, if we have a lamp within us burning, then it is going to be solely by grace. And so, how is it that you can know that you have enough oil? It's not the oil of enough good works, the oil of enough piety. It is the oil of uh, faith, which comes from the Word and the sacraments. And it is in that way that when we ask this question, how how shall we meet the Lord when we have been prepared by the Lord and filled with faith in him? Then we actually do, as the second line says, we long to greet yep. him. He is our hope. He's our heart's delight. It's not a, a terror that we we approach the Lord, but we're actually longing. We're looking for the resurrection of the dead, as we say in the creed. Exactly. This is something we're, we're eagerly waiting for him, waiting his return. And so people sometimes portray the last day as this really scary thing. But for Christians, it's something we're really looking forward to, as we say at the conclusion of each of the creeds, that we're really looking for the resurrection of the dead and life of the world to come, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. These are exciting things, which is why the Holy Scripture concludes in the book of Revelation with, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And so in that hope, we pray this first stanza, asking the Lord to prepare us to greet him with the joy and longing having our lamp lit by him. He is the one who must prepare us. And and in that, then the last line of this stanza says that we would do in spirit lowly all that may please you best. What are we asking there at the very end of this stanza? Well, the Lord says that he humbles the exalted and exalts the lowly, and that he gives grace to the humble and resists the proud. And so what we're asking is that the Lord would instill in us a Christ-like humility, just as he came on Palm Sunday to Jerusalem, humble, um, so also then we conduct our our daily lives in a very humble and lowly manner, not prideful, not self-righteous, uh, not, you know, boasting in our ourselves, but as Paul puts it, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And that that comes from a posture of humility. I'm not, I'm like John the Baptist, right? I don't, I don't point to Jesus and say, he must decrease, I must increase. We look at him and say, he must increase, I must decrease because he is the the saving king. Hmm, that's right. And so that's stanza one. Let's take a look now at stanza two. Your Zion strews before you, green boughs and fairest palms, and I too will adore you with joyous songs and psalms. My heart shall bloom forever for you with praises new, and from your name shall never withhold the honor due. Stanza two of hymn number 334 in Lutheran service book. So Pastor Roth, this is the stanza that really takes us to Palm Sunday. How does, how does Gerhardt describe what happens on Palm Sunday in the stanza? Well, it's a very vivid description of what actually did happen on that day, but then it immediately puts us um, kind of in the shoes of the people greeting him, not in some sort of historical transportation in which were you there when they laid palm branches before my Lord, but how is it that we today lay palm branches before him 
It is with our joyous songs and psalms. And that really reminded me of this beautiful passage from Colossians 3, where Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And this, this really could be a theme verse for our Lutheran worship, that we gather to receive the word, which then dwells in us richly, and we respond with joyous songs and psalms. So even if, if we don't hold palm branches in our hands on the day of, of Sunday morning when we gather together, we are greeting the Lord in the same way with the song of of the song of praise that we sing throughout the service. And and my mind, at least for this first part of the stanza, goes to the the Sanctus, even yeah. particularly, because that was the song that was sung on Palm Sunday and the song that we continue to use as as we greet the Lord when he comes to us in the sacrament. Uh, it's a wonderful connection. So you get the first Sunday in Advent, you get Palm Sunday in in the liturgy. Um, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Mm, that's right. Yeah. And and not to, I mean, not to, well, maybe to do it. If you think back again to that last Sunday in the church year and the hymn that, that Lutherans know well for that text from Matthew 25 from Philip Nikolai, he has the line, hail Hosanna mm-hmm. and wake awake for night is flying. And, and there too talks about eating the the supper, recognizing that the Lord comes to us. So again, man, what a, what a wonderful connection. If you get to sing Hymn 516 in Lutheran service book, Wake Awake for Night is Flying on the last Sunday in the church year. And then you get to sing hymn 334, O Lord, How Shall I Meet You in the first Sunday in the church year, the first Sunday in Advent. What what marvelous connections you can draw between these two marvelous hymn texts and the, the gospel texts that on which they're based. So, so Zion is strewing before Jesus the palms. We adore him with songs and psalms. And then the, the image goes... Gerhard starts talking about our heart blooming with praises. How does the second stanza come to a conclusion? Yeah, it really takes us to the uh, first petition of the Lord's Prayer and the second commandment, right? That we're going to uh, praise the name of the Lord, pray, praise, and give thanks to the Lord and keep his name holy. Um, and again, this is all going to be done by his grace, uh, by the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. Um, and so our hearts are going to overflow as that grace pours into us. And it's going to come out with, from our mouths with praises. Hmm. And so the the prayer then, my heart shall bloom forever for you with praises new and from your name. There's the connection to the second commandment and the first petition, as you said, from your name shall never withhold the honor due. What, is it, what does it mean to honor the Lord's name? Um, so we honor the Lord's name, both with our lips and with our lives. And so we confess the true faith the true confession of faith, say through the creeds. We confess the truth about ourselves um, by admitting that we're sinners and that he is our savior, um, receiving the absolution. And then we also honor him with our lives uh, as we live according in our vocations, according to his commandments. Hmm. Let's take a look now at stanza three of the hymn. I lay in fetters groaning. You came to set me free. I stood, my shame bemoaning, you came to honor me. A glorious crown you give me, a treasure safe on high, that will not fail or leave me as earthly riches fly. That stands a three of the hymn, O Lord, How Shall I Meet You in Lutheran Service Book. So Pastor Roth, the first line of this stanza uses some language that perhaps we're not as familiar with. I lay in fetters groaning, you came to set me free. What's the imagery there? Uh, the imagery would be in 
being in prison or in chains. And um, th this reminded me of, of what Paul says in Romans 8 in a kind of general sense. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So that's a really high level way of talking about the entire creation, including ourselves being uh, in betters, but the liberation that we'll receive on the last day. Again, this is kind of a pointing forward to the last day. Um, that freedom that we'll have in the resurrection is glorious. But we also even now have this liberation through the gospel. In one of the first sermons Jesus preached, he um, unrolls the scroll of, of Isaiah the prophet, and he reads from Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So I, I really sensed uh, that this line probably had that Isaiah, Luke, Jesus sermon in the background, that the gospel is about liberty, not a liberty that allows us to just go do whatever we want, but a liberty that sets us free from the cond condemnation of the law, from the uh, true fetters of hell, and sets us free so that we can be forgiven and free children of God. And certainly that has that last day connotation to it, the freedom that will fully be ours when Christ raises us from the dead. But as you said, even now, this is a freedom that we have in the gospel. It wasn't that many weeks ago when we observed the Reformation and the, the gospel reading, I think that most churches heard it from John chapter 8, where Jesus talks about being a slave to sin. But if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That that freedom is ours right now because of the gospel. Absolutely. Yeah, so this freedom continues into Advent. I lay in fetters groaning, you came to set me free. You have that, that wonderful reversal that Gerhardt talks about in terms of a, a prisoner being set free. And he's going to continue with this theme of reversals in this stanza. We're going to keep looking at it on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Carl Roth about the hymn, Oh Lord, How Shall I Meet You This Morning? We will be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. 
Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, November 30th. We're studying the hymn, O Lord, How Shall I Meet You, with Pastor Carl Roth. He serves at Grace Lutheran Church in Elgin, Texas. Pastor Roth, prior to the break, we left off in the middle of stanza three of this hymn. We talked about the line, I lay in fetters groaning, you came to set me free. Garrett continues with that, that idea of reversals in the second line. I stood my shame bemoaning, you came to honor me. So in the, the first line, it was, prison, freedom. Here we have shame and honor. What's the the contrast? Yeah, I couldn't help but thinking of the uh, Pharisee and tax collector here. Um, you know, the, 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 the tax oh, yeah. collector is just standing there. He won't even lift up his eyes to heaven because he's so ashamed of the wretched things that he's done. And so he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus concludes that parable by saying that he went home, to, we went home justified, whereas the self-righteous Pharisee who had honor in front of other people, um, he goes home not justified. So this is a um, one of those great reversals for human expectations that shameful sinners are exalted and the proud are cast down. That's right. One of the beautiful things about this hymn is, is the way that you see those reversals throughout, the way that the Lord takes us lowly sinners and raises us up. By the time we get to the last stanza, there will be a line about the Lord humbling those who are exalted, but the primary focus is on giving comfort to those terrified sinners who need the freedom of the gospel, who need the honor that the Lord gives in the gospel through the forgiveness of sins. I think the example from Luke 18 of the Pharisee and tax collector is a fantastic text to tie to that line. Then the the last two, I think there's another reversal here, and it, at least in my mind, I see that there is a contrast perhaps here between the riches that are ours in the gospel that are so much better than the riches of this life. Uh, talk about this glorious crown and the treasure that God gives. Well, the, the language of the crown of life appears in several passages in the New Testament. So it's something that we're going to receive as we are co-heirs with Christ and co-regents with Christ, reigning with him. And so we receive this crown of everlasting life, which signifies the, the full possession of the treasures of the kingdom. And, and again, it very specifically says it's a treasure safe on high. And uh, as Jesus will point out at one point, um, we shouldn't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but we should store up our treasure in heaven. And I love how Gerhard says it's a treasure safe on high. It's, yeah. it's something that we're looking forward to possessing. We have it now by faith, by hope. Um, it's, it's a sure and certain promise that we're going to receive it. And nothing can, nothing can uh, destroy it. It's imperishable, unfading, as First Peter puts it. There you go. Yeah, that's what the, the, the two passages you mentioned, the one from Matthew 6 and the Sermon on the Mount, and then First Peter chapter 1, both of those really, that, that's, it seems where Paul Gerhardt is drawing from here, that, that this is a treasure that nothing can destroy, and it's so much better than any earthly treasure. And so as, as Jesus says, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also what better place than to have our treasure in Christ, the one who has freed us from sin, the one who has honored us with his forgiveness and now gives us this glorious crown of life through faith in him. So there's there's stanza three. Then we come to stanza four. And I, I know I, I cut you off guard by asking you your favorite hymn or Advent hymn earlier. I won't ask you your favorite Advent hymn verse, <laughs> but I, I, re, I really think that this one is my, this is my favorite Advent stanza of all. I, this is just a fantastic stanza in, in my opinion. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to looking at it with you. This is stanza four of 334. Love caused your incarnation. Love brought you down to me. 
Your thirst for my salvation procured my liberty. O love beyond all telling that led you to embrace, in love, all love excelling, our lost and fallen race. That stanza four of the hymn, O Lord, how shall I meet you? So, Pastor Roth, the the operative word in this stanza, I think, is love. It it shows up, I think, five times here. Oh, well, um, I didn't count to... Yeah, I think so. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. Well, love. I mean, how could you not think of God so loved the world that he gave? And we tend to use that so loved in a sort of uh, quantitative sense. He loved the world so much. But really, the sense is more like he loved the world in this way. And this stanza does a great job of spelling out what the love did. It caused his incarnation. It was the love of the father for the world that uh, led him to say to his son, beloved son, go down and set these captives free. And the son, out of love for his father and out of love for us, comes down to do it. Yeah, yeah. And I think the way the word love in our context today so often gets misused and watered down into a word that I don't even know what it means, honestly, when when I hear it used in English anymore, but it gets so watered down. And to hear it defined so specifically here in this stanza is one of the reasons that I've, I've always appreciated it. And I think this is a theme that you see throughout Paul Gerhardt's hymns, this idea of I mean, what is God's love and what did God's love cause him to do? I, I don't know if you were doing this on purpose, but I heard you echoing Gerhardt's Holy Week or Lenten hymn, A Lamb Goes Uncomplaining Forth, earlier about what the father said that yep. told the son to do. You know, and, and there's that fantastic, this is him 438 in Lutheran Service Book. In stanza three, it, it's, it goes like this, Oh, love, how strong you are to save. You lay the one into the grave who built the earth's foundation. I, I see this in a lot of Gerhardt hymns where he, he talks about the love of God that, that sent his own son to us to do these things. It's just such a, I, I, I don't know. I, I love these hymns. I do. Oh yeah. They're fantastic. And, and, um, the, the capturing of the, the fact that love is active is so important here because yeah. we do, we do have a very diluted use of, of the term love, but the image of God's love is seen in Christ laying down his life. He loved the church, right? He lays down his life for her. And so that that love that we're to have for one another is that self-sacrificing, um, active love that is always seeking the good of others. And our Lord Jesus um, is the the paradigm for that. And then our love for others is to reflect that. Hmm. Yeah. The, uh, the other thing that I noticed in this stanza, in the second line mm-hmm. where it says, your thirst for yep. my salvation procured my liberty, you have a, a repeat of the idea of liberty there again, but the the longing that's expressed there, your thirst for my salvation, you know, going back to the very first stanza where it's your people long to greet you. Well, before I ever longed to greet the Lord, he longed to save me. He longed to you know, he thirsted for my salvation. That's a, a, I just, I love again though. And I don't know if Gerhardt did that on purpose or not, but I think the, the connection between those two stanzas is wonderful. Yeah. And then also that thirsting language. How could you not think of what our Lord says from the cross? I thirst. Yeah. What was he thirsting for? Was it just that he needed a little quick drink to quench his thirst? No, I think that there's a very deep thirst there that he's indicating he's thirsting to fulfill his father's will and to fulfill all righteousness for us. 
Yeah, and then as the as the stanza concludes, and it goes, you know, again to exalt this love and to praise God for this love. It's a love that's beyond all telling. Who else could have a love like this? And then that that led you to embrace that embracing language. For me, I, I go back up to what he said at the beginning: this incarnational language that that God's love embraced us to the point that God became a man for us. Here's a, a this seems this stanza really, I think, is a connection between Advent. And especially what happens at Christmas in the birth of the Son of God. Yeah, absolutely. And also, let me just throw in the festival of the Holy Trinity. Um, There's a passage from Ephesians 3 that is deeply Trinitarian. It mentions the Father, Son, and Christ. And I I really think that this language of love, uh, all love excelling, comes through. So I'm going to read a a few verses here. Uh, St. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, what in the world does it mean to be filled with all the fullness of God? Um, it has to be something beyond all telling, right? It has to be this most magnificent thing. Um, so I think that passage and this verb and this hymn stanza really just show us that, that the love that God has for us is um, beyond all human understanding, but it's also greater than anything we could ever ask for or imagine. Yeah, as, as the rest of that chapter goes on to say there in Ephesians chapter 3. And what, what makes it r- remarkable here, even in this hymn text, is that who is it that God has loved? Who is it that God has embraced? As Gerhardt puts it, it is our lost and fallen race. And you mentioned earlier, you know, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. Sometimes we we skip over just the words the world. What does it mean that God loved the world? It means that He loved His enemies, those who hated him, those who had, as John says earlier in his gospel, those who to whom he came, but they received him not. That was the the world. Yet God loved them. God loved the lost and fallen race. Again, the the love beyond all telling, I think you also see it in the object of God's love. It's us sinners. Yeah. And Romans five, right? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God shows his love for us in in that very specific way. Um, to reconcile us enemies of God to himself. So um, he really, Gerhard captures the fall and the redemption of the entire world. Not just, and, and one important thing you can point out to anybody you meet is, okay, so are you part of the world? And if the answer is yes, which of course it has to be, then that means that God loved you and gave his son for you and has redeemed you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Christ died for you. You are a part of this lost and fallen race whom God has loved through the incarnation of his son, Jesus Christ. He thirsted for your salvation, and so he has saved you, dear Christian. What a, what a marvelous thing, a, a love beyond all telling from stanza four there of, oh Lord, how shall I meet you? Just briefly, I, I want to mention that in TLH, the Lutheran hymnal, which I believe you still use there at, at Grace Lutheran in, in Elgin, correct, Pastor Roth? Yes, we do use it, but then we also use Lutheran Service Builder to incorporate a lot of the hymns from Lutheran Service Book that are not in TLH. Fantastic. Well, this is in, in TLH. There are a couple of stanzas that aren't in Lutheran Service Book. And and I there's one that I think I just want to read briefly because it follows this stanza about love 
causing God, the incarnation of the Son of God. And it goes on to to speak of the comfort that is ours in this fact. So it, this is in TLH, the Lutheran hymnal, this hymn is number 58. And in, in Lu- the Lutheran hymnal, this is stanza five. Rejoice then ye sad hearted who sit in deepest gloom, who mourn or joys departed and tremble at your doom. Despair not, he is near you, yea, standing at the door, who best can help and cheer you and bids you weep no more. Again, that's stanza five of this hymn in the Lutheran hymnal, which it's number 58 in there. And and we don't have to talk too much about this, Pastor Roth, but I I think one of the reasons I really appreciate this verse is, or this stanza, is in particular, you know, Advent is a dark time of the year. There's not a whole lot of light. The, The sun's light is fading. And so sad hearted, gloom, mourning, these are, are feelings that many people experience during these darker times of the year. And yet we know that the light of the world, Jesus Christ has come to us. He is near us right at the door and he's the one bidding us not to weep anymore. I just, I think this stands as so if you have a TLH at your home, or if you still use it at your church, take a look at this stanza in particular. I think there's just so much comfort for us as Christians. Yeah. And let's also just be honest about the reality for a lot of people at this time of year. The holidays can be a very difficult time for people that have lost loved ones in the past year or in years past, um, for people that are lonely and downtrodden. I mean, the world kind of puts on a happy face around us, but it can kind of be a, a really brutal towards those who are not experiencing that temporal joy that so many people are feeling. Um, but if you as a Christian turn to texts like this, you can recognize no matter how difficult things are, despair not, he is near you. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And he, he, you know, he bids us weep no more. That doesn't mean he says, Hey, stop crying, you know, toughen up. It means you don't have to cry anymore because the the biggest problem you have, sin, that terrible burden of sin and eternal death has been removed from you. So rejoice in the Lord. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the bidding you weep no more, that's that's what Jesus does for Mary Magdalene at the empty tomb, or he asks he asks her why she's weeping. And then when he reveals himself to her, you know, that weeping turns to joy. And again, I, my mind also goes to to Revelation. It's in chapter seven, I believe, right? Where he talks about wiping away our tears. Yeah. Well, every tear will be wiped from our eyes. Yeah. Or maybe it's, it's in later it's in also, Revelation. You get yeah. some of that um, no more crying and tears in 20 and 21 as well. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, again, what a, what a marvelous time, as you said, during a, a time of year when certainly there is joy and yet the grief may become more pronounced too, to know that God himself has joined my lost and fallen race. He has become a man to save me and he's right there with me. What great comfort is ours. Again, take a look at, Oh Lord, how shall I meet thee? hymn number 58 and TLH for a couple more verses. Marvelous comfort there. More comfort for us as well in the stanzas that are included in Lutheran Service Book. This now is stanza five of hymn number 334 in Lutheran Service Book. Sin's debt, that fearful burden, cannot his love erase. Your guilt the Lord will pardon and cover by his grace. He comes for you procuring the peace of sin forgiven, his children thus securing eternal life in heaven. That stands a five in Lutheran service book number 334. Yeah, and this is is one of those verses where you probably want to understand the the poetry before you delve in because 
cannot go ahead. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's that the debt cannot erase his love. So you get the cannot and erasing separated, but yeah, the, the point is that that burden that we have, that debt, that's not powerful enough to destroy the love of God in Christ. As Paul puts it in, in Romans eight, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And that includes our burden, our debt. Hmm. All right. Okay. So the, those first two lines are saying sin's debt is a fearful burden, but that burden can't erase God's love. That's that's the the more uh, prosaic way yeah. of saying what the, the poet poetry says in stanza five. And and what I, I love about that that couplet combined with the next is that you know Gerhardt says sin's debt won't erase God's love. And I think then if you combine that with the second one, and the reason for that is because God's love has erased your guilt. It's been covered by the righteousness of Christ. Exactly. So. Um... We uh, recently had the uh, the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18, and there the guy had racked up this zillions of dollars of debt towards his master. That's a technical term. A zillions, zillions, exactly. He could never pay this debt off, right? And yet the master forgives him completely, and that's exactly what God has done for us. And so, if he's erased that debt, how could that how could that erase his love? That's that's impossible. It's specifically his love that has erased the debt in Christ. That's right. And and not only has he has he erased the debt, but he's also covered you with his pardon. He he covers you with his grace. He covers you with the robe of Christ's righteousness. It's not only a a taking away of sin, but it's a an imputing of Christ's righteousness. Exactly. So, and then as as the stanza continues, we have more advent language. He comes he comes for you procuring the peace of sin forgiven. Maybe here's another place where we want to make sure we understand the the poetry and the language. Procuring is is not always the the first word we use in this yeah. situation. What's what's being said here in these last two couplets? Yeah, so it just means obtaining or acquiring. And so this this reminds us that we're not the ones who have to get this peace for ourselves. It's something he procures through his perfect life, fulfilling all righteousness. And then the pouring out of his holy blood and his innocent suffering and death for our sins. That's the payment. So the procurement department is that one that buys things for the company, right? He buys this. This is redemption language. And as a consequence of the forgiveness of sins, which he earns for us, then Paul puts it, says in Romans 5, that since, uh, that we, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God. Yeah, the instead of the burden of sin from the first part of the stanza, we have the peace of sin forgiven, taken away, so that and the peace comes along with this eternal life, which is secure in heaven. That's similar language to what we saw at the end of stanza three, the treasure safe on high. Here it's eternal life that's secure for us as children in heaven. Yeah. And that language of us being children of God, we can't emphasize enough again on on um, all saints day we have that reading from first john chapter three that what we will be has not yet appeared but even now we are children of god in spite of all outward appearances we are children of god through his promises hmm. let's take a look at the last stanza in lutheran service book number 334 this is stanza six he comes to judge the nations a terror to his foes a light of consolation and blessed hope to those who love the Lord's appearing. O glorious sun, now come, send forth your beams so cheering, and guide us safely home. 
That's stanza six of the hymn, O Lord, How Shall I Meet You? Uh, Pastor Roth, here we we get it. Now we've gone from the first coming of Christ. Now we're going to the final coming of Christ, the judgment to the nations. And here we do have a, a bit of language that we'll encounter in other Advent hymns about how that day is received by those who are not Christians. Yeah, I mean, the the, the invocation of the nations here is very interesting because, again, Gerhardt's writing in the midst of the Thirty Years' War in which, you know, various groups of people were fighting against each other. And kind of the history of the world is nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And uh, men fighting earthly battles to conquer others, to, to capture others, to win spoil and plunder. And uh, this is going to sadly continue until the last day because of the wretchedness of the human heart. But there is a reminder here that comes through very clearly in the Psalms that the, the judgment, the Lord does sit on high and judge these nations and these peoples, and uh, it will not be pleasant for them if they do not repent. Hmm. So the, the first two lines, the first couplet of this stanza speak of the judgment of the nations, the, the terror that that day will be to those who have rejected Christ. But the rest of the stanza then speaks to the hope. And, and here it's consolation, hope, comfort, I think. These are all good Advent words. Uh, what's being said is, as Paul Gerhardt turns now to, to comfort those who receive Christ in faith on the last day. Yeah, so thinking back to the first or was it the, yeah, the first stanza about the lamp within our breast, you know, it's really important that that lamp is burning, but uh as as uh, we hear in the scriptures, sometimes that that wick, right, grows dim um in in the midst of of sin and sorrow, but what's most important is that Christ's light shines upon us and he's the one who brings comfort and peace to us through the gospel. Well, and I mean, a light of consolation, both of those, light and consolation, both bring up words that Simeon uses in the Nunc Dimittis, I think. Yes, indeed. Um, 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 the light to the Gentiles. And uh, glory for your people Israel. Yeah. Right. And, and both he and Anna were looking for this comfort or this consolation of Israel. We look forward now to the consolation that is ours on the last day. And then that is a blessed hope. And here's where you need to... to Watch how you sing it, because the way you sing it may may fool you, but it's it's one long sentence. It's blessed hope to those who love the Lord's appearing. Well, what's what's Paul Gerhardt talking about there? Yeah, so the Lord's appearing is his parousia, his his coming um, in the incarnation, but then especially on the last day, so that we're looking forward to that sudden appearance of the Lord, who's going to come like a thief in the night, the trumpet's going to sound. Um, and the dead shall be raised. So we as Christians love that appearing and long for that appearing because it's going to be the fulfillment of our faith. Mm. Yeah, th- this this part of the stanza makes me think that Paul Gerhardt had in mind Paul's words in 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, Paul writes, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. It sounds like Paul Gerhardt is echoing Paul's words there. Yes, two, two great Pauls. That's right. That's right. That's right. The Apostle Paul. Yeah. <laughs> and, and now Paul Gerhardt writing uh, based on his, his words. And then the, the hymn closes with a prayer, O Glorious Son. Now, it's, it's spelled S-U-N, but S-U-N is capitalized. Why is that title for the Lord Jesus used here? Yeah, I think there we we're getting a little hint uh, about or from the the Benedictus, right? This the morning star is going to rise in our hearts, and or the the uh, the day spring from on high, 
And so Christ is is portrayed as not a sun god, right? But he is the the true sun that enlightens the entire world. Um, and and he's going to send his beams, which come through the gospel, through the forgiveness of sins, to bring us cheer and to then make us lights, little lights of the world. Hmm. Well, and I think uh, the prophet Malachi speaks of of the Lord in this way. He talks about the the sun of righteousness rising with healing in its wings would be another another place maybe where where Gerhardt is is drawing from. And then when the glorious sun, Jesus Christ, when he comes, he sends forth his beams, cheering and guides us safely home. That take us into the conclusion of this hymn. Yeah, you know, this is kind of funny, right? You uh your car has beams, right? It has high beams and low beams. And <laughs> and at night, after you've had your advent service, um, it's dark out especially this time of year. And without those beams to guide you home, it would be very perilous. And so this is a sign that our Lord is going to be the light who's going to to see us through this very dark and difficult world to bring us safely to our heavenly home. Hmm. Pastor Roth, we have about two minutes left on the morning. As you reflect on this marvelous text from Paul Gerhardt, and particularly reflecting on his question, O Lord, how shall I meet you? How welcome you will write. Again, how does this hymn help us to answer that question as the Lord would have us? Yeah, I was thinking about uh, a couple of ways that we actually welcome the Lord. And um, one also, uh, to tie it back in with Matthew chapter 25, a little bit later on in, in the chapter after the, uh, the parable of the, uh, the ten virgins, we have the Lord talking about his coming on the last day. And to those blessed by his father, the, the sheep, who are on his right, he's going to say that we actually have welcomed him whenever we've shown mercy to the least of these, his brothers. And so one of the ways that we welcome the Lord aright is by receiving fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to, um, to give us encouragement, to call us to repentance, and then also to show mercy to them. And also the language of welcoming reminded me of this wonderful part of the liturgy of baptism where um, after the baptism, the congregation welcomes the child in the name of the Lord. And, you know, Jesus says that whoever receives like a, a little child like that also receives him. So we welcome Christ into our midst to bring that child into his kingdom. And then he likewise welcomes that uh, us along with that child into his eternal kingdom. Pastor Carl Roth is pastor at Grace Lutheran Church in Elgin, Texas, helping us today to look at the hymn, O Lord, How Shall I Meet You, number 334 in Lutheran Service Book. Pastor Roth, thanks for being our guest today. It's my pleasure. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you'd like to tell us what your favorite Advent hymn is, we would love to hear from you. Please send an email. Let us know where you're listening and what your favorite Advent hymn is. Send that email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.